Hello and welcome to Fringe Legal, serving snackable bites on innovation, transformation, and knowledge management. In the most recent edition of the Fringe Legal newsletter, issue 52, I shared that the future of law will require identifying the problems your clients will want to be solved. In order to be able to do that, and certainly do it well, you have to have a deep understanding of what your client's needs are. In the episode today, I'm thrilled to provide the general counsel's perspective. If you're part of an in-house team, you'll learn tactical ways on how to put innovation and transformation initiatives on the agenda and into practice. If you're in a law firm, you'll have a playbook on what the GC wants. My guest today is Anna Lozinski, an award-winning executive general counsel and author turned change agent, advisor, and influencer. Starting out at a major Australian law firm, she spent majority of her legal career in-house, working in the banking, automotive, and cosmetics industries. And in 2021, Anna has donned her entrepreneurial shoes and launched her own advisory service on a mission to help law and business adapt to the digital age. She's consulting in the areas of social media content creation, strategy and partnerships, legal ops and optimization, change management, as well as coaching and general counsel freelancing. And lastly, she's an advisory board member to Miss Tyler, a fashion tech startup. She breaks the law, a global female innovator network, and sits on the clock, the Corporate Legal Operations Consortium Australia chapter. Described as a change agent, Anna is a sought-after commentator, mindset coach, and consultant, both domestically and internationally, seeking to shift the dialogue in order to propel the corporate world forward. I am absolutely pumped to have her on the show today, so without further ado, let's just dive straight in. Anna, thank you so much for joining me. I'm excited to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. It's been a long time in the making. So let's dive straight into it. You talk a lot about innovation. You talk a lot about transformation. Both of those things can mean a million things to a million people. Let's pick on transformation. How, how would you think about transformation? How do you define it? Great question. Lawyers love definitions, I know. Last. Let me walk through this. So transformation for me means really going deeper than the deck and what I mean by that is often strategies are documented in PowerPoint presentations and they're thrown around and a strategy is potentially signed off and then it comes to the implementation part and what I hear often is innovation is labelled as a project, transformation is labelled as a project and that's actually the cause of perhaps thwarting more innovation after that particular project in inverted commas is finished. So I think about it in terms of transformation of self, because if the leader's not ready to transform, it's really hard to put that on the team. So you need to lead by example. That means a cultural shift and that equates to KPIs, being implemented for transformation, not just for, say, the legal ops director, if there is one, but 
for the entire team of lawyers and support staff, whoever else is part of the transformation. And I think then obviously it also means operationally transforming so that you're looking at things with a fresh set of eyes. And it's that philosophy of, can we do this differently? We've been doing this the same way for X amount of time. Can we do it differently? How do I define a transformation culture? It's, it's being experimental, but it's also having this spirit of continuous improvement. So you can see how that's the antithesis to, to a project, which has a particular timeline on it. Transformation and innovation is a journey. And like anything that is a marathon and not a sprint, that means that it's the attitude, it's the daily practices, it's the mindset, it's the habits that we adopt as very well-ingrained lawyers in terms of how do we flip that mindset, all those ingrained behaviours that lawyers are traditionally thought to be and are groomed to be. And how do we become what I've dubbed as the new age lawyer moving forward, which is inherently transformational and is more business-minded in the way that they operate. So that's the fairly detailed definition. And obviously I split that up into three buckets, digital transformation, and that's really the adoption of tech, the human transformation, which I've touched on. What are the skills that lawyers need or that legal ops professionals need to manage the change uh, and to manage the transformation so that it is well adopted and therefore has impact? And then you've also got the cultural transformation as well. Yes, I'm a visual thinker, so I'm, I'm imagining a bit of a, a diagram there with some pillars and, and some words to go with it. <laughs> Yep, me too. <laughs> I'm, I'm the same way as you were saying that. I've been drawing it out. A couple of things that took away from that. One, I, I love saying that transformation and innovation seem like areas and they're pretty broad, whereas you can then have individual projects, which could be transformation or innovation projects that have set outcomes, that have set goals and due dates and things of that nature. But you're saying this is this big thing that we're going to try and do. Which means then as an area, it could be applied to the entire business. It's not just specific to legal. It could be the entire business of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people could be going through one of those three buckets of transformation. Mm. Legal is one of those. And even within that, digital transformation, for example, could be another one. And you go deeper and deeper. Yeah. And it affects all of pockets of the business. So even if it's legally led, the reality is that transformation won't work if your business users aren't adapting and therefore not feeling a positive impact. Yeah, for, for sure. And we'll come back to the new age lawyer later. I have put a little circle around that. The three different types of transformations, that's actually really important to have in mind because again, we both have seen this where people do mix and match them and there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe it turns out to be a Venn diagram of some, some sort perhaps, but there are distinct things that you need to think about and be mindful of the human element and the cultural element and the digital element. Yes, there are overlaps and there are in, interoperability that needs to happen. But of course, you need to have focus on each of those as well. Absolutely. So how does this work in practice? All of these things are wonderful and we can have these conversations all day long. How do you actually do something about it? How do you get the business to buy into the importance of actually going through the exercise? 
Mm. So when I talk to people about this and hear their experiences with going from, okay, cool, this is a thing now, we're going to try and prioritise this, what often happens is that the focus is on the short term. So lawyers are traditionally taught to follow or to adopt a bit of a task-by-task mentality. What's next on my to-do list or what's next on my priority list? Whereas transformation requires this big picture thinking. Yes, you've got to turn your mind to what the next step is and how you're going to set that up for success, knowing who the audience is, knowing who you're pitching to, knowing perhaps some of the nuances you need to adopt to create buy-in with particular stakeholders. But it's almost then having, turning your mind and playing a few steps ahead and saying, all right, well, assuming we get yes to, we get a, we get a yes to the business case, how are we going to tackle that? And if that succeeds, what's the next thing that we're going to implement and who are the stakeholders affected by that? My biggest tip on this front is that there is sometimes a tendency to want to choose technology that's going to help the legal team. In my experience and from my conversations with other GCs and other professionals, that's actually really hard to get up. Whereas what's easier to get up is if you can demonstrate the business impact or the impact that it's going to create in terms of efficiency, dollar saving, perhaps moving away from using an external law firm resource because the technology is going to be faster, better, cheaper, or maybe at the same cost, actually cost neutral in the first 12 months. So it's thinking about or anticipating what might be next so that then you can almost play a chess game in a way and be super strategic about the conversations that you're having and who you're having them with. And then how do you use our skills of influencing and persuasion to the best of our ability, but in this new area, if you like, because it is solving legal problems on a macro level, not just on a micro level, which again, as I said earlier, is how we've been trained. A contract comes in, we give all our attention to that contract or that transaction. But do we step back at any point and say, all right, what does my week look like? What did my month look like? What did my quarter look like? They're not behaviours which I guess are natural to most lawyers and perhaps even some leaders. Whereas in business, I find that's happening a lot more often. The trends are being sought out. These are happening in terms of why did the market go this way? Why did this um, service go this way? How did our competitors respond? And so I know that when we're in-house, we don't necessarily think about it that way, but there is maybe a bit of an uh, element of reflection that comes in the business world that we could adopt into our legal worlds to see whether that's an insight or whether it's again a behavioral thing that we could potentially transform to get a better result yeah the business impact point is so important because it's important to think about how does this benefit the firm because ultimately you have to make a business case to say this will allow us to deliver work cheaper, faster, better, whatever it might be. And the reflections are important in in development and I guess a lot of other places as well. There's this methodology of having retrospectives where once a project is delivered, you're just sitting there and well, 
you, you think back and you look at, well, what worked, what didn't work, what did we learn from this and what else can we do differently in a similar type of project? And I don't think that happens because again, you're on this to-do list that never ends moving from one matter to the next one document to the next that you don't really get time to reflect and think about how could I make that next piece a little bit better? What can I carry over that will actually maybe improve the quality or the time taken to deliver that work? And it's, and all of this is of course, really simple and hopefully sounds obvious to people listening, but it's so much harder when you're, when you have 50 deadlines all due in the next two hours. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's some interesting MIT research that talks about looking at innovators, not necessarily lawyers, but looking at innovators and the key to their success is that they're spending the majority of their time focused on the future. Whereas, again, lawyers are trained to look at the past to inform the present. That's a massive mindset shift that needs to happen. And you're right, you've got to create space for it. One of the best things that I did as as a GSU who was also uh, very legal ops-minded was to create space where I would carve out one or two hours in the week or, or regularly where I could actually just sit back and reflect and think, all right, what does this all look like? What are we launching? How's the adoption rate of this? What do we need to market more? How do we need to engage with our users more? Where do we need to get more feedback? Let's review the tech stack. Just those moments in time in the week where as a leader, you're creating that time to make sure that you're nurturing the seeds that you've planted. That is so important and very few people, regardless of what position, industry, anything they're in, do that. And actually, if you look at people who are great leaders or thinkers or doers, that's what they're doing. They're actually not spending as much time doing, but they're spending a lot more time thinking about how to get the work done because that's where the magic happens. Let's shift gears a tiny bit. So in your work as a GC in the past, you worked with law firms. I know you also worked in a law firm at one point. If you think back to maybe some of the best experiences you had, what, why do they stand out to you? What was it about how or what or when these firms delivered work that made them notable to everyone else? I'm sure you worked with a lot of firms, right? So essentially, yes. what makes, from your perspective as a GC, what makes a good law firm? Wow, that is a big question. There's probably a a couple of standouts that I'll call out. The first is being proactive and not reactive. And I know that's a really big challenge for any lawyer, whether no matter where they sit across the legal ecosystem, is that perception of legal's not proactive enough or legal's just waiting for the work to come in. So I think that proactivity coupled with getting to know the business as intimately as they can to allow them to be proactive. And one of the best conversations that I had in the last few years is one of firm came to me as a GC and said, listen, I've reviewed the company's billings for the last 12 months and I think you can get better bang for your buck. That was really refreshing because that is how much 
the long-standing relationship had meant to that person and that obviously been listening when we came together so what I would do in my last role is that twice a year I would get all our panel providers what I labeled as our extended legal team to all come together and be in the same either virtual or physical room so it was our legal tech providers our big law and our new law firm providers and we would often talk about innovation and what we were doing and so obviously that had landed for them in terms of thinking uh, a little bit differently and having the courage to have a conversation to say listen is this something that's on your radar can we have a chat about it and I just found that incredibly refreshing because as GCs you're constantly evaluating am I getting bang for my buck is the service right are my lawyers happy? Is this the right fit? You're constantly assessing them in a way where I was. And I think often what happens is that law firms do a lot to win the relationship. And as we all know, whilst that is a hard piece of work, the hardest challenge is maintenance. You can build a relationship, but how do you maintain it? You can be the number one brand, the number one law firm. How do you maintain it? That's where the real effort comes in and it's got to be consistent. And I find sometimes that consistency can drop off because there's an element of feeling like you take them for granted that they're just one of your clients. So I think that proactivity and really understanding the business I have found that it's also helpful when law firm departments have someone on the account being the company that has been in-house before because that means that they've walked in our shoes. A lot of, I've written about this, I think, on LinkedIn recently, a lot of in-house lawyers have walked in the shoes of a law firm lawyer so we've got that empathy or we should have that empathy. If we don't tap into it, that's a different problem, but we should have that empathy. There's not enough law firm lawyers who have worked in-house. Yeah. And so I think it helps that if, you, that if you've got someone on the team servicing the account, that empathy is really important because sometimes I think that can be missed and that hits, that lands quite loudly when you can clearly tell that the person just doesn't quite understand the pressure or the politics enough. And the third thing is communication and particularly around budget management. So I think law firms who are very open and transparent about what's going on with billings, where are you at in terms of the budget? Have you hit the 50% mark? Are you at the 75% mark? If a client is particularly budget sensitive, that is a really big thing. And I think sometimes, again, I've seen law firms really get it and I've seen other law firms really miss it. And they almost, it's a bit, yeah, um, of course we will. And then actions speak louder than words. And being in-house, the tension is always about managing your money, giving the business certainty, because let's face it, most business units don't really want to be throwing extra money at legal if they don't have to. Yeah. And it, it's funny, all of those things. And as I think back to conversations I've had with uh, other folks from firms who really stand out to me, almost all of them have had either a secondment or some extended period of time working in-house. It doesn't have to be a long stint. Go and work with your client and 
maybe go into the firm and work from the firms, things of those nature can help actually really help you understand what the pressures are, because it's one thing saying, of course, a conversation like this, you can tell me what it's like, but there's another thing seeing the craziness from the inside as well. Mm. And it, it really does make a difference, I think, in how you deliver the service at, at that point, because you also get a much better feel for, okay, this person, even though they're asking me a question like this, perhaps I should ask them the follow-up question. You want this legal advice, what's the best format for you? Because now I understand what you're going to do with it, right? You're going to present this in a board deck or you're going to do something else. Let me take the extra five minutes to format it or present it in a way where it means mm. less work for you. And I think those things really stand out, at least in my experience when I've spoken to people. And I think also when your client is sharing a lot of information about their strategy and you know what they're doing to achieve you know, that strategy, then that's a gift because that doesn't happen everywhere. And so I think it's then really important for law firms to be hitting the mark on those things. And just as in-house lawyers have to show that they're adding value and contributing to the strategic objectives, it's the same thing for a law firm knowing what their clients' objectives are and then perhaps the broader business objectives and always asking themselves and staying on their toes about how am I contributing to that? Absolutely. Um, you mentioned the new age lawyer. I think it's the same thing as what I refer to as the next gen lawyer, but we'll find out. Tell me more. What are the characteristics of a new age lawyer? Mm. So I think of the new age lawyer as possessing a trifecta of intelligences. So the first is the TQ, which is the technical the second is EQ, which is the emotional, and the third is what I call IQ 2.0, innovation intelligence. And if we look at those three headlines and we think about what are the skills or the qualities that then attach to that, they're things like being collaborative, not adversarial, which is, again, perhaps one of the behaviours that, that we're taught to be or, or combative. The second is being very relationship-focused and really understanding the client experience and thinking about what is the experience like for a client rather than what is this like for the legal team. So it's really going back to that. How can you walk in the person's shoes to the extent that you can because obviously that mightn't be possible it mightn't be possible to rotate into every single business unit and do a little you can't be ceo per day you can't be head of crm per day but you can try and at least have some sympathy there the third trait is actually about communication and what i mean by communication is change management so how do you take people and how do you adapt what you're doing depending on your audience and where they sit on the innovation adoption curve? How do you surprise and delight your stakeholders so that they feel as excited as hopefully you and the legal team are about the change that's happening or the work that you're doing? How do you market what you're doing that's related to that? And that's a big communications piece. And then obviously you've got to manage a lot of stakeholders as well when you're leading change, when you're affecting change, when you're implementing change. And then the aftercare piece as well requires substantial communication. Data focused is another one I'd add. There's a whole lot more, but I'll, you know, I'll stop it being data focused. I think that's really important. It is so much more powerful to be able to demonstrate value in a way that resonates with your peers, with your business colleagues, 
how you track work as a team using data rather than, again, what lawyers are really good and have been taught to do, which is to be descriptive and qualitative. As you're busy for me could mean completely different to busy to you. Having capacity could mean a completely different thing to what you define as having capacity. But you put some numbers against that and all of a sudden, no matter where anyone sits in the business, they get it because most businesses run on numbers. When I think about all of that, it's being really observant about what's going on with the business and how does the business act? How do they think? How do certain pockets think? And then finding a strategy or a plan to help navigate it so that you get to a win-win rather than come up against a barrier and then get frustrated and feel like this whole thing is too hard because once you've gotten over the hurdles of how time-consuming and how hard transformation can be, it's also about going, well, how do you make it easier for everybody involved? Because there are going to be teething problems. It's not perfect. There's a great meme which I've adapted for technology and it's I've got 99 problems and technology will solve 86 of them, but you're still going to have a gap. Like technology is magical, but it's not that magical yet. (laughs) Out of all of those, what do you think is lacking? Because probably it's, I would say, impossible to have all of them and certainly in equal measure, that's the perfect world. But how does one... A, become more aware where their fall or where the shortfalls might be, because again, that's a reflection piece become two. And how do you actually work on some of these things? Because in the realities of the workday, most in-house teams aren't spending significant amount of time going to training on how do I become more collaborative or how do I become more relationship focused? They may Mm. actually potentially get training on things like how do I become more data focused? You have to just be aware of the wider business remit and qualitative and quantitative are important things. Uh, How do you actually work on these things at all? And when? Really great question. And I'm not sure I've got the perfect answer to, to respond with because I always talked about when I was hiring for my team, I always felt like I was looking for a legal unicorn because I did want some of those, one of some of those skills, knowing that, Law schools don't necessarily teach you it and neither do law firms, if I'm honest. So a few ways is one, if these skills are talked about and feedback is given and it's a focus, not just twice a year, but it's a daily focus, then that's how you create change. We, we know that from when we want to get more fit. You can't just go to the gym once a month and expect massive results. If you're lucky enough to be working with a personal trainer or a coach, they're going to help you stay accountable. So I think there needs to be that accountability in terms of showcasing these new skills or practicing those new skills and knowing that the person perhaps that's a gap for them and therefore there's going to be that period of time which is the refining bit, right, before you nail it. And some of these things are eternal projects, right? They're forever self-work projects. So I think it's the self-work is really important and wanting to change yourself is something we touched on at the start of the conversation. Not letting it slip so that then again it's, it's priority (laughs) Um, I think you need to make innovation and transformation a priority and that means things like top of the agenda for the legal team meeting top of the agenda on whips one-on-one work in progress meetings with with staff top of the agenda with your external legal panel it's really got to be 
part of the way that you operate daily. Mm. The conversations that you might have with stakeholders, hey, I'm really excited about this, we're working on this, to start getting them excited so that you're planting a seed at the water cooler or just in a casual catch-up. Hey, the legal team's working on this. This is going to be really great for you. Whatever it is, but throwing it in casually. So it's the casual, it's the formal, then it's in the middle of somewhere, a bit informal. It's making sure that you're talking to other people as well to get good ideas. What are other companies doing in this space? Can you use your legal tech providers to connect you with other clients that are at the same part of the milestone on your path that you can connect with? Or is other people in your network that you can, you know, connect with? So you can see it's this big wheel of fortune, which starts with the self and your own willingness to adopt some of these practices, mindsets, operational, uh, executional elements, conversations, communications. It is almost like delving into a new world. And so like with anything, if you want to be really good at it, it needs to be prioritized and you need to give it airtime to grow. That is a wonderful place to start wrapping up. I'm not sure how I can top that. Perhaps you can give a bit more of an insight into what your focus is now. You're not in an in-house role now. So what's the next stage of your adventure and then where people can find out more if they want to? Thank you. I've taken the side hustle, which I launched in 2018 and and expanded it a little bit. So I've got my own website, which has got some guides and some eBooks on transformation and what I call inspiring the inner innovator in you. So that's analazinski.com. Social media, I'm on Instagram at Legally Innovative, also on LinkedIn under my name. And then I have launched in March an advisory service, which really touches on a handful of of effectively new age skills. So the first is social media. And at the moment, that's looking like being a legal influencer and collaborating with both law firms and legal tech companies to get the word out um, about what they're doing or about a particular thought leadership piece. The second is legal ops and legal optimization consulting. So working with teams that need some help to get going or or to accelerate what, what they're doing and be guided through that. And then it's sort of some general consulting and I sit on a number of advisory boards and I'm also just in um, some discussions about some GC freelancing as well. It's nice and diverse, which is what I love and certainly what I loved about being a general counsel and about being in-house. Perfect. And by the way, anyone who is looking for a good read or actually better yet, get Anna's audiobook, uh, which is narrated by Anna. It's a good listen. Funny and informative. Thank you so much, Anna. I appreciate you coming on. So that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation as much as I did recording it. If you enjoyed the episode, then I know that you'll most definitely enjoy the Fringe Legal Newsletter, which provides snackable bites on innovation, transformation, and knowledge management each week. You can subscribe for free at fringelegal.com slash newsletter. The show was produced for Fringe Legal by yours truly, Abhijat Saraswath, with special thanks to Anna Luzinski for her time and a wonderful conversation. Until next time, stay well.